May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I feel so sorry for Thomas in a lot of ways, the person we call St. Thomas, because he's gotten such a bad rap. I mean, he did what you or I would have done. Think about the things that he knew. He knew that Jesus had been arrested. He knew that Jesus had been um, condemned to die. He knew that Jesus had been crucified by the Romans who were really good at carrying out the order of execution. They knew how to finish someone off. He knew that Jesus had been crucified. He talks about the, the wounds that Jesus has, so he knows about the nails in the hands, the spear in the side. He knows all this, and he knows that Jesus was dead. And so he hears his friends, and they say to him, He's alive, we've seen him. And I think that Thomas feels like this must have been a cruel hoax. This is not fair, this is not what should have happened. And he's not going to be duped. He's not going to become a fool like the rest of his friends. And so his demand is very reasonable. Did you hear it? Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger... Do you hear? I mean, this is not just visual, right? Now it's getting, it's getting tangible. I want to touch with my hand the mark of the nail in his, in his hands. I want to... And he, he uses this word throw, balo in Greek. I want to thrust my hand up in his side. When that happens, then I'll believe. But until then... I will not. I want visual proof. I want tangible proof. I want to know for certain that what I see is really Jesus. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's just some chap who's going around Jerusalem who looks like Jesus. Maybe he's even trying to get in on the sort of Jesus movement. He wants to take over as leader. And so maybe he's faked it. Thomas can't be sure. I mean, maybe these guys just saw what looked like wounds and they didn't really investigate. He knows he's going to check him out. Because Jesus was dead. And dead men tell no tales. They don't don't resurrect from the dead. They don't rise up. Thomas knows this. Everyone else knows this. And how can you not help but to feel for him? I mean, ever since then, doubting Thomas has been a slur that people have used, right? I mean, if you're called a doubting Thomas, it's not because people are are complimenting you. I mean, this is really a negative. It's a pejorative. And yet he does what you or I would have done. It is exactly what we would have done. We would have questioned. We'd have been speculating. We're all a bit doubters, aren't we? But then again, Thomas was wrong. (laughs) Jesus was alive, right? He, He was alive. And when his friends said to him, Listen, we have seen him and he's resurrected. Why didn't Thomas just say, Hallelujah, Christ is risen? I mean, why did he have to doubt? His training, his upbringing, his catechism taught him there is no way to please God except by faith. He, he only had to go back in his mind to Abraham. How did Abraham prove himself to be righteous? By faith. How did Moses garner the courage to go face Pharaoh? By faith. How did the priest, when they were entering into the promised land, step into a swollen Jordan River believing that they would walk through on dry land? By faith. How did the widow of Zarephath believe that if she gave her last little bit of meal to the prophet Elijah, that she would not die? By faith. Why can't Thomas, who has walked with Jesus and talked with Him and known Him these many years, not have simply believed? 
See, without faith, you can't please God. And Thomas knows that. And that's the problem here. That's the rub. That's why he's maligned these many centuries since. Unless I see, unless I touch, I will not believe. Actually, he says, I will not not believe. Which in English, a double negative is, of course, a positive, right? I mean, if I said to you, I cannot not pass up a bowl of ice cream. You might say that explains your doughy physique, you know? I mean, you can't go past the bowl of ice cream. That explains a lot, right? I cannot not go past one, which means I eat it when I see it. But not in Greek. In ancient Greek, a double negative is emphatic. It's like sticking an exclamation point. It's like sticking three exclamation points. I will not never believe. I'm not going to believe unless I see and touch and feel. Unless I have proof, no, never. Another translation reads just like that. I will never believe. And there's no faith in that, is there? There's no faith in the, in the qualified unless I see, unless I touch, unless I feel. And so eight days later, Thomas finds himself locked in the house where everybody else was locked a week earlier. He's in the room. He's eating supper. And suddenly John says, Jesus is there. He's not there. And then he is there. He was careful to say, perhaps you heard it in the beginning of the reading, they were in the room and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Right? They were afraid they were going to be arrested. Later on, eight days later, they're back in the house and the door was shut. And Jesus is present. I think John is saying something odd really happened. Jesus is not in a locked room. And all of a sudden he is. And he's standing right there in the middle of all these guys. And who does he look at? <laughs> oh, you know he's going after, don't you? Thomas, come here. Touch. See. He even pull, put your hand here in the side. He uses the same word. Here, Thomas, why don't you throw your hand up in my side and see? He encourages us to come. And you would expect that Thomas does this. You see, I've even seen paintings. There's a, a famous uh, painting, painter who painted this, and I, I should have used it on the front of the bulletin, uh, of this scene where Thomas is actually touching. You've seen this, right? Uh, he's, he's leaning over and he's, he's touching Jesus right in the wound in his side. But you know what I noticed as I read through this text again? That there's no way, there's no place in the text where it actually says that Thomas does what he said he had to do. Jesus says, here, see, touch. And the very next words, Thomas's mouth, my Lord and my God. There's no indication that he actually does what he said he had to do. I don't think he touched him at all. I mean, you would have thought, that, you know, maybe, but, but no. John doesn't say he touched him at all. A few things that I just want to ferret out here. The first thing is, um, is that, well, it might be obvious, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a little subtle. But Thomas says he requires something, and he says he requires more than he actually does to believe. Tom, he, he, I need to see, I need to touch, but he doesn't actually need to see and touch. Or at least he doesn't need to touch. He says he requires more than he actually does to believe. But when the Lord is present, suddenly he believes, my Lord and my God... St. Augustine says our hearts are restless until we rest in God. There's a sense of inner turmoil that is, is all messed up and, and we think we need something. Often it's more than what we do need. 
I don't think we should ever give up on people because they say, oh, I need this or that or that to believe. Because maybe they're speaking more than what they know. Uh, there's a, this condition, perhaps you're familiar with this. Um, animals get it, humans get it. Um, often pregnant women, it's called pica cravings. Have you ever heard this? Where, where suddenly, especially in pregnant women, they will crave like the most absurd things to eat. Like dirt, or clay, or laundry detergent, or hairspray. I mean, it's very common. It happens quite often, actually. Pika cravings, they happen in animals. Animals will eat grass or things that are non-food kind of stuff. The thing is, is when your body, and this is the, the best science on it, when your body is missing a, a, a needed nutrient, all of a sudden there's like a craving switch that goes on. And you start craving to eat something to fill that need. It's not logical. It's not the most sensible thing that you could eat, but you just don't know. You're just trying to go for something to, to kind of satisfy this longing. It's not logical at all. Pete Hogwallop would say, that just don't make no sense. You know? It just makes no sense at all. You, you just, you're hungry. i got a Pete Hogwallop uh, quote in there. Yeah, there's this, all this longing, this hunger for something. I think Thomas has a hunger for God, and he just doesn't know how to satisfy it. Another thing that I notice in this text is, is who found whom? You would have thought, Jesus having resurrected from the dead, having shown himself to his friends, he's not with him. You think they would be out hunting for him, don't you? I mean, like going through the woods, knocking on doors, going house to house. Have you seen him? You know, but they're not. They're huddled in a room, locked away. I mean, I would think that they would be out looking for him, but they're not. They're placed in a room. And he found them. Jesus found Thomas, not the other way around. A little, a little theological insight here. It always happens that way. It's always about God searching for us. And all of a sudden we say, oh, I found the Lord. And I think the Lord in His goodness just smiles and says, okay. But if not, he, we didn't find Him. He found us. He finds Thomas. There's a, there's a great, really technical word for this. It's called grace. That God gives a gift to us. He comes and He finds us and pursues us. Another thing I notice about this passage is that Thomas is called Didymus, the twin. Have you ever noticed that before in the Bible? That Thomas is called twin? Back in chapter 11, also it comes up Thomas, who is called the twin. Um, this shows up, it, it often is translated who was called the twin, which is a really bad translation. It's a present passive participle. Thomas, who is called the twin. I always thought Thomas probably had a brother, Teddy, you know? And, and Teddy probably wasn't like one of Jesus' followers. He was probably a banker or, you know, I don't know, a lawyer or a doctor. He's out there doing something else. He's, he's um, you know, doing something completely different. And so Thomas was always called the twin because, hey, he's that guy who has the twin brother. But the best um, church history has to say to us is this, that Thomas was not called twin until after the resurrection of Jesus. And he was called twin because after he witnessed Jesus, he became so consumed with Christ. He became so consumed with, um, with pursuing the grace of God that people often remarked of Thomas that he was like a twin of Christ. The reason Thomas is called twin in the New Testament, is because he was viewed as a twin of Jesus. The uh, church history says that Thomas traveled the furthest away from home on his missionary journeys. He went all the way to India as a missionary from Jerusalem by foot. 
Of course, he didn't go by air. But he travels all over the world. He's, he's on this missionary journey. He's so consumed with being like Christ that he can't stop telling the world about it. You know what I like about Thomas? I like that he's very honest and human. He eats dirt and he doesn't try to cover it up and act like he didn't. You know, he's very honest about who he is and what kind of person he is. But I like in him too because I see something else. I see in Thomas that God can take someone who is a snarky skeptic and He can change him into the most passionate witness. I like that because I want God to do that in me. And I want Him to do it in the entire world. Don't you? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.